0: He is risen. I had a math teacher once who, after explaining a complicated uh, problem, or it was, it was, I think, a word problem one day, would, would ask, uh, Do you understand what I'm saying? And uh, would just always tend to ask that at the end of every class Do you understand what I am saying? as a way to provide an opportunity for clarification. I honestly believe that she really wanted us to be sincere, and for us to say, you know what, uh, Miss Adams, I not not this Miss Adams, but uh, another Miss Adams. I, I I don't understand. Can you go back through that uh, problem one more time and help help us to understand? But all of us were scared to death of her. I certainly was, um, and I would just look up at her and then I would look right back down. But one thing that I noticed was, and I honestly believe that that she was concerned for the whole class, but every time she would ask the question, she would look right at me. Do you understand what I am saying? And try to make eye contact with me, because she could tell based on my grade in the class that I didn't understand. And I still don't understand. As we've heard in the Gospel reading this morning, I'm not the only one who doesn't understand. I'm not the only one who is confused at times. John wrote a note in the Gospel account about the challenge that the classroom of Jesus, uh, that a problem that was presented to them that they couldn't understand, and actually it was a solution to a problem that they didn't understand. If you look there in your Bible, in John chapter 20, or if you look on the back of the bulletin, you'll see it printed there, this scripture that Charlene just read. I was reading through it a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to think about different parts of it that I could focus in on in my sermon, and uh, one challenge preachers have every Easter is approaching uh, a story that you know so well, and trying to think of perhaps something new or something different about it that hasn't been thought of before, because even if we're creasters, you know, those who come at Christmas and Easter, (laughs) we still are familiar with this particular text. Yet it is one that continues to speak to us in fresh and in dynamic ways. And this phrase really stuck with me. John says, For they did not understand that He must rise from the dead. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And I wonder, how well do we understand it today? It's pretty easy for us to look at paintings and uh, different depictions of the resurrection and go, well, I don't understand why they didn't understand it because they saw that the the tomb was empty and they saw Jesus and He appeared to them and even let them poke their hands in His side. and I just I don't understand that. It looks like they would have seen Him and, and gotten it. But we don't understand. We don't get it at times. We tend to not understand it when we attend the funeral of a friend or a loved one. We just saw them two days ago. We don't understand how it is that they could be dead and passed on from this world. We don't understand how we can't touch them any longer or pick up the phone and call them or embrace them. We just don't understand that. We don't understand when we become so immersed in the seemingly important things of our day. We get so busy with the tasks and and all the things. And maybe this morning... You were so busy getting your clothes together, getting a meal together, or getting your children or getting your thoughts together that you really didn't take time to think about how this morning is different. It's different than any other morning. It is a morning of the resurrection. Or we tend to uh, think of it as something for later. It doesn't fit in with our current plans. Yes, I believe in the resurrection, but after I die, that's something for later. I choose really not to think about it now. I've, I've got too many things going on. Well, how is it that we can understand it better? Going back to Jesus' words about a seed or a grain of wheat, we read this passage uh, two weeks ago from John chapter 12, 24. And in this particular passage, it reminds us. It gives us a proper context of what this is all about. And this is why Jesus spoke these words. He was trying to build a context for when he did die and when he would come back to life that they could look back and understand what in the world he was talking about. So hear these words again. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, then it bears much fruit. And again, this is one of those sayings of Jesus where they just looked at each other and looked at Jesus and like me, looked down and thought, I'm not sure I understand, but I'm not going to ask any questions. So what do seeds, wheat, and fruit have to do with an empty tomb? And what can we know about the resurrection as we approach the empty tomb this Easter? What makes this different from any other morning? What can we know? I think we can know everything we need to know as we approach the tomb. First, we can know that the seed did indeed die. This is what Jesus said would happen uh, that it would be necessary in order to provide a harvest of new life in this world. And Jesus must have known that he was soon to become that seed that would fall to the ground. Don't you think? Jesus had some idea. I mean, he was fully human, yet he was fully divine. But I think in that moment, he must have known, as the political and the religious tensions were growing all around him, especially as he was heading back into Jerusalem. He was emptying himself more and more. He was dying a little bit with each step. And we tend to think, well, Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross. That's when he died. I want to say to you this morning, he was dying all along the way. He continued to empty out His life as He made His way to the cross. That was just when Jesus says, it is finished. That was the end. But there was a build-up. He was that single grain of wheat that He mentioned, with full and beautiful life. Wouldn't it have been great to look at Jesus? If we could have been one of those disciples, if we could have been someone like Blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road, or if we could have been Mary Magdalene, or Someone who was there, who got to see Jesus, not just to see Him, but to hear Him, and to be able to interact with Him. He was a beautiful life, attractive to the eye and to the soul of the people that he had encountered. And yet he knew that his purpose was not to bask in his own glorious life, but to lay it down that other beautiful lives could come along. That those lives could be born and multiplied into a great harvest. As we recall from this past week, die He did. I mean, that was the whole focus of this past week. We started out on Palm Sunday and celebrated and then we began to journey with Jesus to the cross and we gathered together here on Thursday night for Maundy Thursday and we went from the very beginning as He was there in the upper room and Then we went out in Scripture with uh, Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. We were there when Judas betrayed Jesus. And we were there as we heard the cock crowed and Peter denied Him as well. We were there as Jesus was nailed to the cross. And that sound of the nails just stands out in our minds. We exited this place in silence, thinking about death. Die, He did. He laid down his life in the most excruciating of ways, willingly going through the agony of crucifixion, all out of love for us. But wait, there's more. (laughs) After his death on the cross was confirmed, the Roman soldiers lowered him from the cross, and Jesus' followers placed his broken and dead body in the tomb. This death was the final act among countless ways that Jesus died throughout his life. As we think about Jesus' words about his death, we also remember that he continued to tell his disciples that they would die too. If they were to follow him, then they were to die to themselves. If they were going to bear fruit in the world, they would need to die. If they were going to increase, then they would need to decrease. If they were going to lead, then they would need to serve. They would come to know of this meaning as they reflected on Jesus' death. This is what the two guys were doing on the road to Emmaus, as we'll look at in a few weeks. They were pondering all of these things that Jesus said, and especially about how he had to die, but even then, how they had to die. So they were splitting and getting out of town. They would begin experiencing death in various ways and we are to do the same. We are to know what Paul meant when he said, I am crucified with Christ and therefore, therefore I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. Paul placed himself on the cross when Jesus died. Our new life cannot happen until we have fallen to the ground from ourself. Just like that seed It doesn't just happen so long as we're living for or in the glory of our egoistic self-pleasing. And we are great at that, aren't we? We say that we're selfless, but we tend to look after ourselves more than anyone else. When we refuse to go to the cross, what we seek for ourselves in this world is all we get. That's what Jesus said. If you seek to save your life, then you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, then you will gain it. It is this idea of reversals that Jesus continues to throw out there. And we think, it it just doesn't make sense. And if that's all we live for, then that's it. What we really ought to be doing is laying down our lives, giving up our focus on ourselves, serving others' needs above our own, and embracing the ground that produces the real harvest of life. A good question we should all ask ourselves this morning is, have we died? Yet. Have you died? What else can we know as we approach this empty tomb with the disciples today? We can know that the seed didn't stay dead, but it came back to life. And I'm going to say that again He is risen. He is risen. risen This was the jolting reality that the disciples experienced as they arrived on the scene of the resurrection. They walked up to the tomb. They saw the stone had been rolled away and discovered it to be empty that morning. The life of Jesus that had fallen into the ground of death had sprouted. It wasn't the same. Something had happened. The reality of of Jesus' body and the death that was there could no longer suffocate its inherent power of resurrection. Deep down inside of this seed was the power of new life the old gave way to the new the limitation gave way to freedom the darkness gave way to light and the silence gave way to rumbling the defeat of death gave way to the victory of resurrection hate gave way to love it is just as our reading from isaiah today and it said and he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples as A humankind, we experience that shroud, do we not? It is something that we know is inevitable. But He will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples. I can't help but think of that mountain, Golgotha. This calvary, this place of death, it was high and lifted up. This was the mountain of the shroud. And it says, He will swallow up death forever. Now that ought to put a smile on your face this morning. i want to say it again. He is, risen. he is risen. Okay, y'all are doing great. And this would become true for those who walked into the empty tomb. It becomes true for us as well, doesn't it? It is true for you today as you celebrate Easter Sunday, isn't it? It is true for you as you seek to live in the relationship of marriage in the stress of your workplace, in the bondage of your addiction, in the love for your enemies. It is the reality of power as that part of you that is mortal gives way to the immortal. It is the assurance of life everlasting beyond this world. God has now given us the capability of sprouting up a new life. It would be wrong, therefore, to look at your life and say, there is no possibility for improvement. Do you do that when you look in the mirror? There is no possibility for improvement. It would be incorrect for you to see the mountain of problems in your life and conclude that things won't get any better. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're thinking, my debt is too high, my problems are too great. And there's just no way that I can get over this mountain. It would be false to assume that you are too lost or too bound to make a difference in your world. Every single one of you has the ability to make a difference in your world. It would be a great misunderstanding to think our world cannot be changed by one act of love. You look at your world and you think, this place is going downhill fast. What can I do? What can I, just as one single little person in this universe, what can I do? It would be wrong to think that you can't make a resurrection difference. This new resurrection life of Jesus is a prototype for how we are to live. Not just in heaven, but right here on earth. It is the reality of the defeat of your life giving way to victory. The same power that rolled away the stone is the same power that God will give you in the midst of your circumstances of life right now. What we can also understand about the resurrection is really it's a benediction. It is a great departing word and thought for followers of Jesus. Hear it again. But if it dies, if this seed dies, then it bears much fruit. The fruit from the seed of Jesus' life in the ground, it didn't take long to come up. As the gospel writers inform us, it happened on the third day. The earth shook as this seed began to sprout, to push away the encasing soil and the heavy rock that was on top of it. And it poked through the ground with dramatic rising. Mary and later Peter were the first to see it. Mary, Magdalene, and then Peter. They spread the news of Jesus to the other disciples, who in turn spread it. To the world, who in turn spread it to us today. We are here today because of these first witnesses. People soon began to see the fruit from this one seed as Jesus appeared to people as their resurrected Savior. The good news of Jesus spread like a wildfire. And so Jesus was right about the fruit from his death. And he is right about the fruit from our death as well. We are the seeds from the wheat of His life. We are like the acorn that Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote about with these words, The creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. Just one acorn can produce a thousand forests. We are those who are to disperse into the soil of this world with the intent to propagate a harvest or a forest in this world. God has placed you right where you are not only to die to yourself, but to bring forth new resurrected life in the people and in the systems around you. You may not like where you are today. I mean, I hope church-wise you, <laughs> you like it okay. here. But you may not like the position in life that you have right now. You may not like your job. You may not like the current relationship that you're in. You may not like what's going on in the city around you. But you can know that God has planted you there as a seed. To not bask in the glory of your life, but to die so that He can bring fruit from you. What is it that you need to give up today? Think of the difference that you can make. Know the power and potential that is inside of you, even while you may find yourself deep in the grave of death. God has big plans for you as a seed. He has placed powerful reproductive power inside of you. This power cannot be held down by the dirt of this world, the weight of pressure, or the heavy stones that attempt to seal up your life for death. I hope you hear that good news. Now we have resurrection power, and nothing can stop it. Well, nothing but you. You can stop it. National Geographic reported recently about a seed that sprouted with a beautiful blossom. Now, this kind of thing uh, wouldn't ordinarily make it into the news or certainly under the cover of National Geographic, but for the fact that it was no ordinary seed that produced this. It was a 32,000-year-old seed dropped deep into the earth by a 32,000-year-old squirrel. (laughs) I am sure they were equally menacing then Probably in people's attics and getting into their chariots and chewing on the ropes and causing all kinds of havoc. But this squirrel, they speculate, dropped this down into the ground with some other seeds. Some of the seeds were damaged, but they all became frozen there deep in the earth. For 32,000 years, it remained in the ground, yet still full of life full of resurrection power. Scientists found the seed and observed its remarkable power. How could something dead for so long produce life? That is the blossom from this very seed 32,000 years ago. They put it back in the dirt and this is what it did. As we reflect on the transformation from crucifixion to empty tomb. We realize that life continues to blossom from an ancient seed. The question is do you understand it? He is risen.